Amen. Appreciate that. If you would take your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. <clears throat> Going to be reading down through verse 6. 1 John 2 and verse, starting verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. So the title of the message this morning is Being Perfected by the Lord. Taken there from verse 5. Being Perfected by the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word, and we pray as we look into the word of God today that we quiet our hearts before you and give attention to your word. I pray that you give wisdom in the preaching and teaching of it, and I give, give us hearts to hear and to obey, and uh, help us to yield, allow the Spirit of God to have his will and his way, and that you would be glorified. Lord, we pray if you are any in our midst who do not have the assurance of salvation through Christ, the Spirit of God would work in their hearts and bring about repentance and faith. Father, we pray that you just uh, uh, help us, encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> eternal life or everlasting life, you know, this, to say the difference between eternal life and everlasting life is Eternal life has no beginning. Everlasting life has a beginning but no ending. Eternal life has no beginning or ending. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, that's not really that important. But anyway, eternal life or everlasting life begins when we realize we are sinners, that we've transgressed against the holy God and thereby condemned by our own guilt before him, and then believing that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins, as we read there in verse 2, and receiving Him as a Lord and Savior. That's, that's, that's eternal life begins. Begins. Doesn't end. There. That's just the beginning. It's sort of like a seed that has been planted in the ground that begins to germinate and grow by the power of the sun, S-U-N. We, by the power of God through the Son, S-O-N, begin to grow as we receive life, the life of God through salvation, we should begin to grow and be conformed into the image of His dear Son. That's God's purpose in our life. This is the real Christian life. It's not I made a profession or prayed a prayer and that's the end of it. That's not the Christian life. That's taught in the Bible. No, the Christian life is taught in the Bible continues to grow. It grows. Salvation is just the beginning of everlasting life. The word life, according to dictionary.com, speaks of a condition that distinguishes organisms from 
inorganic objects and dead organisms. So it distinguishes life, living organisms or organisms that are living from dead it being manifested by growth. So it shows itself by growth through metabolism, reproduction, and the power of adaptation to an environment through changes originating internally. You know, so if the, something has life, there will be growth. There will be changes that come from within. Now, we know that the Bible tells us that it's God that works in our hearts to bring about those changes. It's God that worketh in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 tells us that. Uh, and, and we see this you know, taught, this is what the Bible's teaching here in this passage, I believe. And you know, the, the word perfected there in verse 5 means to complete, uh, that is, to add what is yet lacking in order to render a thing full. You see, you're not complete yet. You're not full yet. Your Christian life isn't full yet. And it won't be full until you go to be with Him. You're going to continue to grow and change. Adapt more and more. We should adapt more and more into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the idea. In fact, in 1 John 4 here, in verse 12, it says this, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. And his love is perfected. That's the same idea. It's growing. It's changing. Being, becoming more like him. Perfected in us. Then again in verse 17. Here is our love made perfect that we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. You know, the psalmist also said in Psalm 18, verse 32, It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. It's God that makes my way perfect. It's not me. It's not in man the directed steps. It's God that makes my way perfect. Psalm 138 verse 8 says, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. And so, so the Lord, when we get eternal life, the Lord begins to work in our life, as Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So until the day you go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, God's going to continue to work in your life and in mine for his glory and his honor. And so we are perfected. We are being perfected by the Lord. And so, as we think about this being perfected, we are perfected by several things. I want to notice several things first. First of all, a growing knowledge or understanding of the Lord. So we're being perfected by a growing knowledge or understanding of the Lord. And notice, in, if you notice in verse 3, hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now the, word do, the, word, the three words, we, we do know, mean, or, or one Greek word, which is defined as becoming acquainted with. To know is employed in the New Testament of the knowledge of God and of Christ, of things related to them and proceeding from them. So, so you know, the, uh, concerning the one true God, in contrast to polytheism, which teaches that there's many gods, uh, or and you know, uh, and so it teaches us concerning the nature and will of God, in contrast to the false wisdom of both Jews and Gentiles. You know, everybody has a false idea of who God is. And the nature of God. 
You know, the Jews had a zeal of God, Paul tells us, but not according to knowledge. You know, their focus, the Jews' focus became the preservation of the nation and the glory of the nation, not the keeping of God's commandments and the glory of God. Shouldn't have what? That can happen to us, too. You know, we can, we can become focused on us and our own preservation. Forget about our relationship with God and our responsibilities before God. And the privileges that we have of God and of His mercy and His grace. And so, you know, the Jews and their zeal, they became self-focused and, 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 and focused on themselves and the glory of the nation. You know, their concept of one God, of one God who as a spirit was right, but they tried to box God into their own selfish desires and their own selfish exaltation. Therefore, when God revealed Himself in a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, they rebelled against Him. Put him to death. You know, anytime we twist to pervert the scriptures to make it agree with our presupposed ideas, or simply, as many do, ignore certain parts of the Bible because they're not politically or religiously correct, quote unquote. Or we deem it difficult for our modern times, you know, people won't hear it. Well, the Bible tells us that was going to happen. You know, the Gentiles on the other hand, they worship many gods of their own making. Of course, the sun, moon, stars, animals, trees. People still do worship all those things. Environmentalism is the worship of nature. Money. No, you see, a growing knowledge of God then should give us several things. First of all, a growing knowledge of God is, is required for for, for us to be perfected, and, and it requires a proper knowledge of the doctrine of the person of God. We have to have a proper knowledge of the person of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Look at verse, uh, look at chapter 1 and verse 2. For the life was manifested, we have seen it bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Then he says in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So there he's talking about the Father and the Son. And then in chapter 5 and verse 7, which, by the way, most, almost all modern versions remove this verse because it's not supposed to be there, but it is supposed to be there. Chapter 5, verse 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So we have to have a proper understanding of the person of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all God. They're one God manifested in three persons. So we need to understand, have some understanding of the doctrine of the person of God, of His holiness. You know, again in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, This then is the message we have heard of Him declare unto you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellows with them and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So without an understanding of the holiness of God, we will not rightly understand our own sinful state. Before Him, and therefore we will not rightly understand our need to repent. That's why a lot of people think they don't need to repent. Because they don't really understand the holiness of God. They don't understand that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. They can't quite fathom that there's nobody that doesn't sin or think a bad thought. 
years and years ago, my brother-in-law and I were out in visitation one night, and we went to this elderly lady who, whom he mowed grass, and, and she, she had this idea that Jesus had to go to hell to purge some of his sins. And I began to go through the scriptures and where it says about, you know, in John 8, where they said, you know, which of you convinceth me of sin, Jesus said. Or in Peter, where it says, in whom was no guile. Or in, or in 1 John 3, verse 5, it says, and in him is no sin. And she began to try and backpedal a little bit, you know, but she, but she wouldn't go any further than to say, well, well, he at least had to have a bad thought. You see, people can't quite fathom the fact that there's someone who doesn't sin. But there is. And that's God. There isn't a human being that doesn't sin, but there is God who does not sin. And see, if we, if we don't rightly understand the holiness of God, we will not rightly understand our need and our just condemnation by a holy and righteous God. And that God is not the author of sin. By one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. We understand that God is eternal. He's immutable. He does not change. He cannot change. So, so we need to have a proper knowledge of the doctrine of the person of God. We need to have a growing knowledge of the purposes of God and our redemption. And our redemption. Verse 3 and 4, Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You know, it is our duty to learn the commandments of God. Now the word commandments here is defined as of those things which God commanded to be done by Christ, of the precepts of Christ relative to the orderly management of affairs in religious assembly. So, so we're talking about the orderly management of affairs in his churches, his assemblies, and his precepts and his commandments. You know, the, the commandments the Lord has given us could be summed up in the Great Commission, which is given five times in the New Testament. Matthew 28. Go over to Matthew 28 and verse 18. <clears throat> you know, this, this commission, what we call, commonly call the Great Commission, is found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Mark 16, 15 through 20, Luke 24, 46 to 48, John 20, 21, and Acts 1, 8. But the most comprehensive probably is in Matthew 28, in verse 18 through 20, where it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, say, All power, that means all authority, is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So, so we are to teach and preach the doctrines of salvation. That's verse 19. Teaching them the doctrines of salvation, that they're sinners and need to repent, and they need to die, to, they need to, 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 repent really means, has the idea of surrender, but, and of course, baptism pictures this, a willingness to repent, humble yourself, die to self, and resurrect to new life in Christ. Baptism is a picture of salvation. Uh, and and so, so, we are to teach those doctrines, and, and, 
and doctrines concerning living lives as witnesses or representatives of him. Notice in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So we are to teach not only the doctrines of salvation, we are to teach the, them to observe all things that he has commanded. So we're to teach people to grow in the commandments of God that they might be effective witnesses or like Christ. Be like as Christ. That's why they called them Christians. They had a likeness to Christ. You know, and that is why we have the New Testament books of the Bible. It's to teach us those commandments, those things. All those things. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> and verses 14 through 16. The Bible says this. These things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. Now why is he writing these things? But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. In the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and grounded through. So these, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm writing these things so you know the commands of God concerning his churches. That's why he's writing. That's why these things are... And of course, Paul is not writing these things of his own will. He's writing them under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. So these words are coming from God himself. These are God's commandments concerning how we are to conduct ourselves in his churches. As members of his churches. So God has given us His Word that we might grow in in our knowledge and understanding of Him. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Verse 9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against God. You see, that is why the Lord established churches for the purpose of preaching the gospel which includes the all of the whatsoever I commanded you. Not just teaching the doctrines of salvation, but to, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Titus 1.3 says he's manifested his word through preaching. And if you neglect God's method of gaining knowledge, it will affect your growth. Or you will not grow. You see, there needs to be a growing knowledge of the commandments of God. Secondly, a growing application of His commandments. It's not enough just to hear them. We need to start doing them. We need to do them. Verses 4 and 5 of 1 John 2 says this, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So there needs to be a growing application of, of his commandments. The word keep and keepeth mean observe to do. It means to attend to carefully. You know, Matthew 28, 20, it says to observe all things. In other words, that means it's more than just looking at them. You know, we'll often say, well, I, I observed it. 
The difference between look and observe is you, when you observe something, you're looking with, you're gazing, you're attending to it to learn, to change. It means to regard with attention so as to learn something. In John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. If you don't keep the word of God, it's an indication you don't love God. You don't love God. Revelation 2.26 says, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. See, God's going to reward those who keep His commandments. He's going to reward them, give them power or authority over the nations in His millennial reign. The Bible says we are going to rule and reign with Him. And it's those who keep His commandments that do them, He's going to give power over the nations. You know, an Old Testament example of this is Joshua. In Joshua, we know in Joshua 1.8, a very familiar verse, it says this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. In other words, you need to be continually putting it in your mind. By the way, if you don't continually put it in your mind, it will sooner or later be replaced by something else and forgotten. The mind needs renewed day by day. You know, you, to, to learn to do something by habit, you know, they, they, they talk about you know, you need to train, you need to train so that whenever a, 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 you put, you're put into a, a difficult circumstances and, 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 you know, danger is near, that you, you react, your reaction is automatic. You would automatically do the right thing because you have trained for it. The same is true in a walk with the Lord. If we don't continually train our minds by putting into our minds the Word of God, we're, we're going we're gonna to forget it. We're going to replace it with something else. It's going to be blotted over with something else. You know, we're constantly, in our day and time, we're constantly putting stuff into our minds. No, this book of law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make the way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. See, Joshua, if you're going to obey, if you're going to keep my commandments, you need to remind yourself of them daily. You need to remind yourself. You see, the commandments here are of those things which God commanded to be done by Christ. You know, what is, what is the greatest commandment of God? You know, one of the, I think it was a lawyer asked Jesus, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Matthew 22. And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, as you think about those commandments, there's many other passages of Scripture that would agree with exactly what Jesus said there. For example, in Matthew chapter 10, in, in verse uh, 37 and 38, he says, 
He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. See, that goes along with the great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. You know, chapter 12, again, verse 47 and 50, says, Then said one, one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brother stand without desiring to speak with thee. You know, he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, whosoever shall be the will of my father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. You know, at this point in his life, his family really wasn't in supportive of him. He said, this is my new family. This is, these take priority over my family because we're walking in fellowship. You know, his brethren weren't walking in fellowship with, his, with him at this time. And so, again, this is a great, this agrees with the great commandment. Of course, Luke 14 talks about, you know, forsaking not all they have as well. So, so these would agree with that. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. And, and, of course, then he said, The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he said this in Matthew twenty two forty: On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, I want you to think about these greatest commandments. They are really, I would say, the summation of the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments, there's... They're divided into two tables. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The last six have our relationship with man. And the first four, verse, the first one is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second one is, Not to make any graven images. Not to take his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In other words, God's to have priority in our life. That's the great commandment. Of course, the second one, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, the fifth commandment says, honor thy father and mother. The sixth one says, thou shalt not kill. Sixth one, you can say six shooter, you know. The sixth one is always that thou shalt not kill. Uh, the seventh is, thou shalt not steal. The eighth is not commit adultery. And the ninth is, thou shalt not bear false witness. And the tenth is, thou shalt not covet. And these we could sum up as saying, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you will not do any of these things to your neighbor. In fact, in, in Romans chapter 13, uh, he says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You see, these are the commandments of God. And if we love the Lord, you know, we will surrender our hearts and our minds to do His will, to live pleasing to Him, to honor Him in His commandments. And if you would love your neighbor as yourself, would you not desire the salvation of their soul? And for them to know the peace and assurance of a walk with God as you have? Therefore, if we want growth in our walk with the Lord, if we want to experience greater victory over sin and enjoy greater usefulness for the Lord, we must apply ourselves to keeping, observing His commandments. And we need to be, we need to hear, we need to be in the place where these things are taught. One of those commandments 
uh, uh, we, we learn about so that we can hear is not to forsake the same of ourselves together. So we can exhort one another. So just as a new plant desires water and sun, if we are born again of the Spirit of God, have experienced the life of God, there should be a desire for the Word of God, which effectually works in our hearts and minds to conform us under the image of Christ. There should be that desire. If you notice in verse 6, Verse 6, he says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Now the word abideth means to knit to him, means we're knit to him by the Spirit. Uh, Chapter 3 and verse 24 says, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us, by the Spirit which He hath given us. And again in chapter 4, verse 13, Hereby know thee that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. So that we know that we are in Him because He's given us of His Spirit. You know, Romans eight sixteen says, The Spirit itself beareth witness. In other words, it testifies to us that we are the sons of God. It bears witness to us. If the Spirit of God isn't bearing witness, it may be because He's not there. In fact, Romans 8 9 says, If any have not the Spirit of Christ, it's none of His. It's none of His. You see, when we're born again by the Spirit of God, He takes up residence in our hearts. God takes up residence in our hearts by His Spirit. And so... uh, so there should be this, this, this knitness to God by His Spirit. And, and then it says that, we, that He abideth in Him ought Himself also to walk. Now, we, can, we use that word ought, and we don't, it's not, doesn't really have, you know, a lot of oomph to it. It's not a lot of power to it. But the word ought here means to be under obligation. Bound by duty or necessity to do something. In other words, it behooves us. One ought used us of a necessity imposed either by law or duty, by reason or by the times or by the nature of the matter under consideration. That's, what, that's the definition. There's Greek lexicon. So there's a, there's a duty here. There's a necessity. Paul said, a necessity is laid upon me. Woe unto me as I preach not the gospel. He said in 1 Corinthians 5, love of Christ constraineth me. In other words, there's, there's a necessity. There's a, there's, I feel a duty. I feel an obligation. I feel a pull, a compulsion. And notice again it says, he that saith, he abideth in him. Okay, he that says that the Spirit bears witness. Let's read the definition will feel a duty or an obligation or a necessity to walk even as he walked. If a person doesn't have a desire to do the things of God, it's a very serious indication there's no relationship. 
There's no relationship. In fact, verse 4 says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. See, if you are saved, you have been born again by the Spirit of God. You've been regenerated, as we call it. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So we are born of the Spirit. He then takes up residence in our heart, in our life, and He gives us a desire, an obligation, if you will, to do the will of God. To heed, to read and heed the Word of God, the commands of God. To know the victory and blessings of God. There's a desire there that He gives us. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 says, Being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, we are born again by incorruptible seed. If that which is incorruptible, does, does that which is incorruptible take upon corruption? So if we've been born again by an incorruptible seed, and it takes up residence in us, should it not be producing that which is not corruptible? Should it not be changing us that are corruptible or corrupted to be less corrupted? In other words, I'm talking about growth. Verse 24, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. This is the word which by the gospel is preached. And of course, this, this incorruptible seed is eternal. It is eternal. You know, it, it, we ought to be becoming less corruptible. If God's word is precious, we would we not highly esteem it, value it, give it preeminence in our lives? Even as He goes on and says in verse chapter two, wherefore? So, so understanding this, that we've been born again by incorruptible seed, we ought to lay aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted, the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones, you're not a dead stone, now you're a lively stone, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to up all spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth in him should not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto all say they were appointed. So if God's word, if God's word dwells in our heart, it would be precious to us. We would highly esteem it. We would value it. We would give it preeminence to our lives. Unless we are of the disobedient, those that stumbled at the word, like the Pharisees, you know, they, they tripped over it. They wouldn't receive it. They didn't like it. They would not humble themselves. 
And they stumbled over the word. And it became a rock of offense to their own destruction. So he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk. Now Jesus said, by their fruits ye shall know them. A good tree does not bring forth corrupt fruit. Neither doth an evil tree bring forth good fruit. So if we are born of the Spirit of God and born again by an incorruptible Word of God, it should be bringing about new life. New life in our life. It ought to become precious. We should be growing. We should be being conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be more and more, and again, this is a process, being perfected. It's a process. We call it growth. And growth brings about change. You know, we should be growing. You know, resting on His promises more and more. Keeping His commandments more and more. Walking in obedience more and more. Being perfected more and more. And the Bible says here, John, through the Holy Spirit, is saying to us, look, if we say we abide in Him, we ought to have a desire. A desire. Just as a newborn babe desires the sincere milk of the Word. You know those little babies back there? They love milk. Babies all over this country are crying for Milk, fake milk, formula, they call it, because there's a shortage. They desire it. It's natural. It's a natural instinct of life. And as a child of God, desiring the Word of God should be a natural instinct of the Spirit of God that dwells within us. So the question is, are you being perfected? Are you growing in knowledge of Him? Are you keeping or applying that knowledge to actions and attitudes of life? You know, there are many places that teach this principle in the Scriptures. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. See, God puts in, in your heart by the new birth, by the presence of the Spirit of God, a desire to do the will of God. A necessity. A necessity. Philippians 1 6 says, Being confident that very thing, this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto they of Jesus Christ. Again, verse, verse, verse 5 and 6 says, But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily the love of God is perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. 
Do you know that you are in him? Is God perfecting your life? If he's not, you need to apply yourself. We need to spend time in his word. We need to begin applying the promises and the commandments of God to our life. If you're not saved, you need to be born again. Maybe it's because you don't have the Spirit of God who will teach you all things. So, the question this morning is, are you being perfected? Are you being perfected, Christian? Are you being perfected? And then, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you need to ask this question, are you in Him? Are you in him? Is he abiding in you?